Uh, it's great to be back in CCC. For those of you who don't um, know me, my name is Neil. Uh, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from England. Any of you been to England? Strange country, uh, just a little island off Europe. Um, the land of cucumber sandwiches, the land of castles and red buses. Uh, but many, a couple of hundred years ago, my forefathers traveled across the Atlantic Ocean to a place called Boston, Massachusetts. Anybody been to Boston? Yes. And that's where we are now with our family. We were part of CCC for three years, um, a wonderful church family, and it's great to be back. CCC is so special to us. Um, my wife, Abby, sends her love to those who know her. And Isaac is with me, my son Isaac, who's 13. He loves China, loves CCC. And it's great to be back in the family. Um, and Owen, as our other son, he's doing well. And we moved to Boston about uh, just over a year ago, as Rick said. And it's the city of freedom. And our fathers, forefathers came over to bring freedom uh, to the, uh, the country of America. And so God sent me to, to the colony, um, where we've been looking after things. And he sent me back uh, to found a new chapter called Make America Great Britain Again. Uh, <laughs> come on, let's give, let's give the Lord a great hand clap this morning. Isn't it awesome to be in the house of God? I'm so excited. Are you expecting to have an encounter with God this morning? I want to encourage and strengthen your hearts. Um, sometimes we come to church and we expect uh, a, a word and we expect to come away feeling good. Sometimes, though, we come to church expecting and hoping that we hear a revelation of the Father's heart, or we hear something that will change and transform our lives. And I want you, it's my prayer for you today, is that the 24th of June, 2018, was a moment in your life where God impacted you afresh. Or maybe you don't know God uh, in the way that I'm going to explain. And maybe this is your moment to come into a relationship with your Creator God. So I'm really excited to be here, excited to share this word and I know God's going to speak to us. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you you are so for us, as we heard in the worship. We thank you you are such a wonderful, powerful God, and you sent your son Jesus to die for us, that we might have life. I pray that you would speak to us in this message and encourage us and strengthen us, and I pray for those who feel far from you today, that they, you would draw near to them, and they would have an encounter with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're between Father's Day last Sunday and July the 4th, so we're in holiday mode. And as I, I was thinking about Father's Day, I was thinking about the Father's heart. And I want to run through Scripture, uh, right from uh, the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation and back again. We're going to stop in Micah, and we're going to journey through Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to go in and out. Is that okay? Awesome. So there are two men in the Bible, in the whole of humanity, who had no human father. Does anybody know who they are? The first one is, of course, Adam. Can we go to the scriptures? Now, Adam was created and conceived, not by a human father, but in a different way to, uh, to us as human beings. We have a, a father and a mother, most of us, in the, in the creation story. Let's look at uh, Genesis 3 verse 6. So, you know the story of Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the earth. Okay, there's darkness, it hovers over the deep. Verse 1, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the deep. 
And everything God is creating in, in Genesis 1 and 2 is with his words. God speaks, something happens. God says, let there be light. There was light. God says, let there be land. There was land. Let there be sea. Let there be the firmaments. Let there be uh, animals. Let there be plants. Let there be birds in the air and fishes in the sea. Everything he's doing is almost at a distance. It's with his words. But then we come to the creation of man. And God does something very different. He says, come let us make man in our own image. Elohim, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come together. They, they literally kneel down into the soil and they bring out of the dust and they breathe the Ruach, the spirit, life of God into mankind. Friends, you and I as human beings are the first thing that God touches in the whole of creation. You have been touched by God, literally, to be created. And our need is to be touched. Yes, physically touched as human beings. We need physical touch. The, the studies that show what happens if, if um, babies and young children do not have touch from their parents leads them into terrible situations. But much, much more than that, we need a spiritual touch from the Father. And when he touches our lives, we get revelation, we get direction. How many of you know God's not a God of confusion? He wants you to give clarity today. Some of you are traveling on after being here for many years into new unknown situations. Can I tell you God is for you, not against you? Can I tell you that there's much more life than there is death when you're a Christian? Can I tell you that the things ahead of you are better than the things that are behind you? Can I hear a good amen to that if you believe it this morning? All the wonderful things that God has shown you in this place, you can take with you to your new place, and, and God will use you mightily in wonderful ways. But Adam makes a few mistakes right at the beginning of creation, doesn't he? You can see some of those things in these verses in Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating, so they're in the Garden of Eden, and everything is perfect. But there's temptation in the way. And the tree of life is the temptation for Eve, firstly, to eat of the fruit that God had forbidden that she should eat from. And temptation comes often in the middle of our lives, doesn't it? It's never hidden away to one side where we can conveniently ignore it. It's the, it's the TV in the hotel room for some of the guys, or it's the, the bar downstairs in the hotel. It's that temptation. It's the center. And so it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're tempted, and they fall, and... She realizes that she believes that she would know everything if she ate from this tree. And she took and ate it and gave some to her husband, and he ate too. Have you noticed that Adam's first mistake is not a positive action, it's something he didn't do? In fact, he did nothing while his wife just kind of fell off a cliff and went into temptation. Guys, can I give you a word today? Sometimes we do nothing, and that's our sin. Sometimes we see injustice and we do nothing. We hear God's name taken in vain and we do nothing. We see a brother or sister in need and we do nothing. We see our wives struggling with their calling or with their decisions they have to make or, or their lives and we do nothing. And God is challenging us today to, to take action, to be the men of God that he's calling us to be as, as, as fathers, sons. You see, we're in the middle of the World Cup. Anybody watching the World Cup at the moment? The, the football competition, yes. Uh, we all know that England is, is going to win, right? <laughs> We're praying for these things. Let's see if my prayers get answered. 
Um, but, you know, the World Cup is a great spectator sport. Uh, I watch the TV, and I see 22 players running around, and they're having a great game, and the referee is there. And, you know, I, I, I'm telling, pass the ball to him. Pass the ball to him. It's so easy. He's just over there. If you'd have passed to him, I, you know, if I'd have been there, I would have scored. My grandmother, who's not here anymore, she could have scored in that position. And, and so we spectate, and it's so easy as spectators. But how many of you know that Christianity is not a spectator sport? We're called to be part of the kingdom. We're called to be active. We're called to be a part of the body. We're called to get involved and to serve and to find life and do life together. So God touches us. He changes us. He's a big God. He's got a great plan and a great vision. Um, I was hearing about the story of the llama. The llama is, is an animal, uh, probably a bit like a kangaroo, although maybe our friends from Australia can, can confirm that. Um, but what it is, it, it can jump. It can jump three times higher than its, than its body height. But to keep it in, in its compound, you just need to have a fence that comes up to here, comes up to its neck. And if it can't see where it's going, then it, it refuses to jump. Even though it can jump, it, it doesn't jump. And so I feel that God is saying here today to somebody, you're, you're a bit like the llama in, in the box. You can jump, but you can't see where your feet will land. But God says, don't worry, because as you jump in me, as you put your faith in me, I will carry you, and I will take you to the next place, and I will lead you, and I will take you to safety. How many of you know that the safest place to be is at the center of God's will? I remember Pastor Rick telling me about his early days in Moscow, uh, in 20, 20 years ago, planting churches uh, in the freezing cold and amazing times that he shared and he felt so safe because he was in the center of God's will. And how many of you know that in the center of God's will, it's a place of great safety, but not necessarily comfort. You see, God sent Jesus not to comfort the troubled. He sent him to trouble the comfortable and to stir us up and to lead us on into his life. Let's go on to the next slide. So God creates Adam, and he falls, and there's great darkness, as our own Adam was sharing, uh, over the world. In fact, Romans 5 says, darkness, death reigned from Adam right through to Moses in the Old Testament. And I don't know about you, but people say to me sometimes, I wish I lived in the Old Testament times. I wish I saw Moses parting the sea. I wish I saw... Um, these great victories. I wish I saw uh, just the miracles that, that God did in those times. But then I read in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, that God swallowed up people if he didn't like what they were doing. And can you imagine that? You're, you're quite happily going on with your life and something goes wrong, you accidentally get into some sin or something, maybe you t take a wrong turn, boom, it's all over. The ground is gone, it swallowed you up. How many of you are glad you don't live in a day like that today? How many of you are glad that we live in the dispensation of God's grace and there's a new covenant now through Jesus Christ? We live in the new world. Can we go to the next slide? Thanks, Josh. The people who know their God shall carry out great exploits. That's what Daniel says. Knowing God is everything. And, sorry, it's the next one. I'm, I'm jumping around a bit. Can you forgive me? Knowing God is everything. Jesus uses the word know, yada, 
to describe the conceiving love between Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve knew each other, they experienced each other in, in the highest way a human relationship can. And that is the way they knew each other. And do you know that God describes his relationship with us many times as a marriage? Uh, he says, for example, at the end, end times, at the, the, the end of justice, when justice will reign at, at, at the final judgment, he, he says to some people, he says, some people said that, that they were ministering in my name, but I did not know them, yada, I did not know them, I did not know who they are, depart from me. And he actually sends people away because they do not know him. And he's talking about this intimacy. And here in Daniel, we, we see these, these amazing words. The people, that's you and me, shall that know their God, that yada their God, that know their God in this intimate way, shall be great intentions, shall be, have a great life, shall do amazing things. Yes, but they shall be strong. How many of you, how many of you want to be strong today? How many of you don't feel that way at the moment? You feel weak. You feel you need some strength. People who yada, who know their God, shall be strong and do great exploits, do amazing things. So God is looking for a people who want to know him, who want to seek him. Tommy Tenney in The God Chasers says, he defines a God Chaser like this, an individual whose hunger, say hunger, whose hunger exceeds his reach, whose passion for God's presence to chase the impossible in hopes that the uncatchable might catch him. Are you a God chaser today? Are you really chasing after the things of God? Do you know God in this intimate way? With that in mind, would you watch this short video? You get the idea, right? It's, a, it's an example. So let me come to Angela's defense in this, in this story, right? She, she says, uh, you know, she loved her husband more than anybody else, right? She, she spent more time with Justin than she did with anybody else. Yeah? He was her favorite, she said. Why was he so upset? Let me ask you a question. Would you want to be in a marriage like that? No. None of us would want to be in a marriage like that because why? Because her loyalty is divided. Let me ask you this. What makes you think that Jesus would come back for his bride, the church, that is like that? Friends, let me tell you this. Sometimes we are like this lady with her old boyfriends. We hang on to our old relationships. We hang on to the old things, and we think we have God in his rightful place. We think we have, yeah, I spend more time with God than I spend with anybody else. I spend, he, I love him more than anybody else. He's the favorite one, but not the one. Am I speaking to anyone here this morning? God wants our whole, whole heart. He is chasing us hard to be, that we might consider him the one and only. That we might, that we might know him. Now, listen, this, what, this is what frightens me. On that judgment day, there will be people who have ministered in the name of Jesus. There will be people who have laid hands on the sick. There will be people who have seen what Jesus can do in the lives of his children. But yet Jesus will say to them, depart from me because I do not know you. I do not have this intimacy and this relationship, this yada relationship with you. 
So can I challenge you today that God wants your whole heart and nothing else, and undivided loyalty. It's time for us to release the shackles and to give our lives wholeheartedly to him. He's such a jealous father. And I always used to think, God, why are you so jealous? You've got everything. You don't need anything else. But then I realized he hasn't got everything. He hasn't got that which he wants most, which is our hearts and our lives oriented towards him. His, his jealousy is a lover's jealousy. I want you, I want you above all, every, above all others. Above all others. Amen. So what did he do? He sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. Let's go to Micah, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, to hear about Jesus, the second human being without a natural father, also conceived by the Holy Spirit um, through a word given to Mary, a young girl heading towards Bethlehem. And Micah 5, verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter, not a great compliment, is it? A litter is a litter of dogs. The runt is the smallest, the ugliest, the least attractive, the runt of the litter. That's how Bethlehem is described. If this was on TripAdvisor, it would be kind of bottom of the reviews as a place to go. You wouldn't want to go to Bethlehem because of its reviews on TripAdvisor. This is the runt of the litter. Even today, it's a kind of very nondescript place. Perhaps you can confirm that, Rick, from your recent trip. It's, it's the place where nobody wants to go. If this was a town in the U.S., it would be a one Walmart town that you just kind of drive through and say, thank goodness I don't have to stop there. But how many of you know that epic things can come from bad places? How many of you know that epic things can come from bad families? Epic things can come from broken homes. Can I hear a good amen to this morning? Maybe there's somebody here today and so many words have been spoken over your life as, as a child and you've internalized them and you've believed them. So many things that happened in your family that, that hurt you, that, that created in you a sense that there's nothing for me to do. I am who I am. And God would say, you are my child. From you can come something epic. In fact, God is a specialist at bringing epic things from bad places and bad families. Amen. So from Bethlehem, the runt of the litter, from you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. From your dirty places and your lives and your broken lives will come leaders who will shepherd the flock of China and shepherd the flock of the Beijing community. Amen. From you will come the leader of Israel. Let's go to the next verse. He will be no upstart, no pretender. Say this after me. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. Let's have a look at his family tree, shall we, in Matthew uh, chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. I won't read all of it. This is Jesus's bloodline. This is his DNA. Um, this is how he got here generation after generation. Because we live in a day where figuring this out in, in, in the States certainly is a bit of a novelty. We have DNA kits, and we buy our DNA kits, and we, we find out whether we're from England, um, extra blessing for those people, um, or we find out whether we're uh, from somewhere else and uh, maybe not so blessed. No, we, we, we have these kits as a novelty. We want to find out where we're coming from. But in this day and age, um, back in Matthew's time, this was the resume that got you the job. This was the resume that got you into the community uh, that you needed to be and the places you need to be, into the relationships, into the career, into the Pharisees, into the temple, if that's where you wanted to be. 
So it's really important that we understand the genealogy of Jesus. How many of you have ever written a CV, a resume, and maybe left out one or two details for your new employer? Maybe some of you have a resume that, mm, let me just gloss over that. Uh, let me just, uh, those 10 years where I couldn't really find a job, let's not mention that we were doing some volunteering work. We don't want to connect our new employer with that employer, so I'll leave that out. I'm speaking to anyone today, I've certainly done that myself. But in this time, we needed a good resume. If you weren't of noble descent, you were nobody. And if you couldn't prove who you were or where you came from, you were in trouble. It would disqualify you from certain things. And nothing is more true, ladies and gentlemen, than when you're auditioning for the role of Messiah. Matthew is making a claim that Jesus is the Messiah. So the temptation would be, surely, to airbrush a few details from the line, from the family tree of this person, Jesus. Remember that the Jews were expecting some kind of Superman figure to come and to liberate Israel from the, the rule of the Romans. They were expecting him to come in power and majesty with an army. They were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting no more sickness, no more cancers, no more disease. They are expecting the establishment of a new kingdom on the earth. And yet, we see in the DNA and the genesis of Jesus something quite different. Matthew does the opposite. He includes all of the sordid details of Jesus' DNA. Let's have a look. I've skipped a few of them. He establishes a line, father, 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 father of so-and-so, father of Abraham, father of Isaac. And all is what he needs to do is establish Jesus' bloodline to Abraham. This is the first thing they were looking for. He has to descend from Abraham. He has to descend from the house of David. If, if, if Matthew can establish the link between Jesus and David, he's done. But he doesn't do that. He, he takes it in a very different way. First of all, we see this woman called Rahab. Now, this is a big no-no. In these days, you don't link to a, a woman. woman didn't have any status. She didn't have any inheritance rights. So to include a woman in the line of Jesus does not make sense. But how many of you know that Jesus is the world's greatest feminist? He's, the, he's done more for women than any other person on this world to bring justice, to bring equality of role and purpose in the kingdom. Can I hear a good amen from the, from the ladies today? He's called you. You know, when, when a woman is created uh, in Genesis, uh, he calls man to fall asleep. We're always falling asleep. But it was a deep sleep. And then God creates Eve from, from the side while he's asleep. Not from the head, so that people could say, well, a woman should be above man. Not from his feet, so that people could say that, that uh, a man's purpose is to, to be stepping on a woman. But from the side, there's an equality. There's a, a relationship. And how many of you know, um, it, and those of you who are married, and, and you, you have this, this cuddle. You have a cuddle on the sofa, and you, you bring your wife to the side, and you know, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? And it's kind of like she's at home. She's at home here, and you're side by side. What a, what a lovely image of marriage and of knowing and of intimacy. But anyway, in Jesus' line, it's Rahab. And she's not just a woman. She's a, she's a, a woman of reputation. 
She's a prostitute. So inside Jesus' bloodline, there is prostitution. No, 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 this is awful. What are you doing, Matthew? It carries on. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So now there's an in-law involved. There's a scandal to this relationship. Inside Jesus' DNA is prostitution. Inside his DNA is scandal. It gets worse if you carry on through the genealogy of Jesus. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. More scandal. It carries on. The next verse. He brings David. Let's talk about David. Yes, finally, we've established the line from Jesus through to David. Job done. Let's, not, let's, let's just call this a day and move on. But no, no, Matthew says he brings the line to David and David, and then he carries on to Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What did David do? David um, had a relationship with Bathsheba. He fell. He sinned. He had an adulterous relationship. And not only that, he arranged for Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, while Uriah was sent away to be killed. So there's murder in the line now as well of Jesus. This is the lineage of Jesus. Scandal, murder, adultery. Isn't it shocking? This is in his DNA. But Neil, didn't we just read that verse from, from Micah, from Micah chapter 6, where it says that the family tree is ancient and distinguished? What's, what's ancient and distinguished about murder and adultery and, and prostitution and scandal? And it gets worse, there's idolatry as well, because Ruth is in the line of Jesus, and, and she's a Moabite. She's not Jewish. And so Matthew is taking us in a completely different journey to describe who our Savior is. And he's saying he's, he's got Jewish blood in him, and he's got Gentile blood in him. He's the kind of person that you and I are like. He's, the, he's from a murderous family. He's from the brokenness. He's from the sin. He's from the despair. He's from the criminal world. Why does he do that? He should be faking his nobility. All he needed to do was show that Jesus was related to David. And he didn't need to be as honest as he was. But the branches in Jesus' tree are twisted. They are twisted. Not only was a genealogy like a resume, it was created as, as creatively in those days as it is in our day. And this is the lineage of our Savior. Judah Tamar shows up, pa parents of two little boys, Perez and Zerah. This is a, like a scandal, like ne Netflix. It's a Netflix scandal. It's, it's unbelievable. Judah was Tamar's father-in-law. Why should you vote for him as, as the Messiah? It's twistedness of his tree. Remember in the Garden of Eden that everything happened on the tree of life. And isn't it appropriate that our Savior hung on a tree for us, on a twisted, broken tree, like Jesus' family tree. It's so important. Jesus didn't just die for us. He died as if he was us. And by his stripes, we are healed. Do I hear an amen today? By his stripes, we are healed. Jesus didn't just die on a cross. He rose from the dead. And on the third day, he rose again, ascended into heaven, and he's knocking at the door of your heart. And if you let him in, he can save you. He can change you. He can heal you in a moment of time. He came and walked this world with the blood of a prostitute inside him, with blood marked with scandal, murder, and adultery, and he died as one of us, so that he can say to you, I don't care what you've done. 
I don't care who you've done it with. I don't care where you've been. I've entered into your pain. I've entered into your shame. I've entered into your lies. I've seen you murder. I've seen you steal. I've seen you lie. I've seen you take life. I've become what you have done so that you can have life. Now you say to me, what's ancient and distinguished about that? That's his mother's side. What about his father's side? Well, that's the easy bit. John 1 verse 1. He came into this world. The world became, the word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt amongst us. Jesus had no earthly father. His father conceived him in heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. His father is perfect. His father is life. His father is perfect. That's our DNA. That's his DNA. Wow. The word was God. The word was with God. God came down. He wasn't just human. He was divine. You see, what Jesus did was he reaches down. He brings the Father's purity and divinity and cleansing power. And he links with the other hand to our messy DNA and to our circumstance. And he's the only one who can do that. Reaching out the grace of God, bringing down the grace of God and connecting us with our Holy Father in heaven and forgiving our sins and us receiving a, a brand new life and a brand new destiny. Amen? Amen. Let's carry on. Are you glad you came today? Is it great to hear God's word? All right. Romans 5 verse 12, and I'll close with this. Um, when a preacher says, I'm going to close, you've got about one hour to go. Okay. <clears throat> Let's have a look at Romans 5. Death through Adam, life through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death comes to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before law was given. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. But the gift is not like the trespass. Amen. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more, say much more, how much more did God's grace and the gift by grace of one man, Jesus, overflow to the many? The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. So we have the situation, sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. Sins are the things that we do wrong to grieve God's heart. Sin brings uh, judgment. Judgment brings condemnation. Condemnation brings death. But these wonderful words here in Romans, there's much more grace than there is sin. Amen? There's much more justification than there is condemnation. Amen? There is much more life than there is death. Can I give you a good word today, church? There's so much more going for you as a Christian than if you weren't a Christian. There's so much more life than death. There's so much more hope than despair. There's so much going for you than there is against you. Let's give the Lord a great hand clap for the power and the truth of that statement. He came for us and died as a sinner, died sinless for all of humanity, that we might be healed and set free. What a father. What a savior. Amazing God he is. Epic things come from unlikely places. He's a big God. Sometimes we're like those flies in boxes. I don't know if you uh, have, have ever tried this, but uh, you put a fly in a box. I used to do this as a kid and uh, catch the fly, put it in a box, in a shoebox, and used to try to get out. And used to hit its head against the, 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 the lid of the shoebox. And after a while, what you can do is you can take the, the lid off the shoebox, and the fly won't, it won't fly out, even though it can do. It's been conditioned 
to just go a little bit lower each time and it's, it's downtrodden and, and it never actually escapes because it's been conditioned that way. I feel God's saying to somebody here today, you're a bit like the, the fly in the shoebox. You've, you've hit your head so many times and it hasn't worked and you haven't broken through. God's lifted the lid. Doesn't it say in Ephesians, I'm able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask, think, or imagine? Your wildest dreams, your wildest imaginations, Jesus is able to do so much more for you. Amen. Amen. He's lifting the lid of your expectations of your, of your life. Let me close with another short video, and then I'll jump up and say a few more words, and then we'll bring to a close. We can be like that, can't we? Things that we are holding us back, things that are taking us into a relationship with Jesus. He said, leave everything, let's go. There's freedom on the other side, but those things are holding us back, and you know what they are in your life. You know what you're holding back from, from God the Father. You know that he wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you personally and intimately. But you've got to leave your old boyfriends behind. Guys, you've got to leave your old girlfriends behind. This is the time to step into a new relationship with God, to, to, to enter into new promises. But you've got to leave things behind that are holding you back. Uh, a sinful life, the things that you're seeking after that are not, not from him. Maybe you're totally devoted to, to your career. Imagine yourself in that meal with that between the man and the woman and, and how many of those boyfriends have you still got and, and Jesus is looking for he's coming back for the church he's coming back for his bride and he wants her whole he wants her totally committed and he wants to know her so intimately and so deeply he is that good the scripture that we heard there's more rejoicing over one sheep who repents than on the 99 who don't he's that good didn't we hear in the worship he's so good he's so good to us He's that good. He's, he's so reckless, his love. His love is so reckless. We're not saying he is reckless. What we're saying, though, that the way he loves is, is just so. He's utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regard to his own safety, with regard to his own comfort or his well-being. His love is not crafty. It's not slick. It's not cunning. It's not shrewd. Sometimes it's downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for us. His love does not consider himself first. It isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he will gain or what he will lose by putting himself on the line. And he puts himself on the line time and time again for us, coming to us in his way through his son Jesus. He simply puts himself out there on the chance that you and I might reciprocate and send our love back his way in return. His love leaves the 99 for the one. That doesn't make sense to sensible adults. What if he loses the 99, but he wants the one to come back. He rejoices more when you come back to him and you find the life that he has. Finding his lost sheep is supremely important. His love isn't cautious. There's no plan B with the love of God. He gives his heart so completely, so preposterously, he gives himself away again and again and again, time and time again. Make no mistake over our sins do break his heart. And 70 times 7 is an, a large number of times to have your heart broken. But he comes back every time and offers himself again and again and again. He is that good and he never gives up and he will never give up chasing you. So my encouragement to you is chase him, chase him, chase him. Like nothing before, leave behind everything that's hindering you go for it in your relationship 
with God and you will experience the life that he has for you and he will know you and you will know him so intimately. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, you have spoken to us so powerfully today. You're awesome. Your gospel is so convicting us. You've reached down. You've spoken to us. You've spoken to our hearts. You've shown us we don't want to be the prisoner who's bound and captive by the things of this world which will pass. But we want the freedom that you offer us through your son Jesus. Freedom from sin. Freedom from fear of death. Only you can do this, Lord. Come into my life right now that I may know you in this special way, in this yada way and give me the gift of eternal life. I give myself wholeheartedly to you. And I have an image of a bride. You know when a bride is, is, is getting married, it's a powerful statement. We had a royal wedding in England a few weeks ago and the bride is saying as she walks down the aisle I'm forsaking everybody else. Guys, I didn't realize this until I had a revelation from God about what it meant when my wife walked down the aisle. She says, I'm forsaking everybody else, all my old boyfriends, to be with this one, to be with this person. That's the heart of God for you, the heart of the Father. And if you prayed that prayer, would you do something for me so that I can pray for you? I'm, I'm not going to involve you in the service, but so I can pray for you. Would you just raise your hand and take it down again? Thank you. Is there anyone else? You know that this message is for you. There's things you need to leave behind. Thank you. God sees your heart. Amen. Anybody else? This is a holy moment. Nobody else is looking. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Is there anyone else I can include in this prayer? Thank you. Jesus, we thank you for those who've responded both publicly and also in their hearts to this message. Help us to be free of the things that hold us back, to chase you, to love you, to realize that your DNA is our DNA. You're our Father. You formed us, you created us, you filled us that we might function. Help us not to be split loyalties, Lord. Help us to give ourselves wholly and entirely to you. That we might run with you and we run into your arms as we sang this morning in worship. Praise your wonderful name. We thank you that you left the 99 for the one and that we are the one that you did all of this for. I pray for this church. I pray that those people who are leaving would just go out with great confidence and boldness, carrying your gospel to the UK, to the US, to Thailand, to Vietnam, to wherever you're sending them, Lord. Thank you that the gospel is global. Your church is global. It's your address on earth where you do great and wonderful things. And we're so privileged to be a part of it. Bless everybody. Strengthen and encourage and heal. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a great hand clap this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. Bless you all.